Welcome to the Spirited Advocate Podcast, brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States, the leading voice for the distilled spirits industry. Now your host, Chris Wonger. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Spirited Advocate Podcast. Uh, We're privileged to be here today with the Chief Executive of the Scotch Whiskey Association and uh, Karen Betts. Karen, thank you for being with us today. Uh, How are you holding up with everything? Well, it's a real pleasure to be here. So thanks very much for inviting me. Uh, We're still locked down in the UK at the moment, but I think we're holding up pretty well. Great. Well, uh, for everybody and all of our listeners to know, uh, I've been joined at the hip with Miss Karen since I first joined at Discus. Uh, And the last time I saw her, if I recall correctly, uh, we had the opportunity to go to a great meeting at 10 Downing Street uh, to talk about none other tariffs. So, uh, but first and foremost, Karen, tell us, uh, you were the ambassador of Morocco. Uh, for uh, England. And tell us, how did you land the great job of leading the Scotch Whiskey Association, if you could? So, I mean, I was very lucky. And, you know, I have many people telling me now I have the best job in the world, and I don't disagree. Um, I had worked in the UK Foreign Service for uh, for about, well, it was about 17 years. And, um, and for various family-related reasons, we had decided to come home to Edinburgh. Edinburgh is our home. Uh, And um, yes, there were various options uh, available, including staying in the Foreign Service. But I was really lucky at the time uh, that we were starting to think about moving, that this job as Chief Executive of the Scotch Whiskey Association came up. And and I thought that sounds fascinating. I was already a fan of Scotch whiskey, but I wasn't nearly as educated uh, as I am now. And so it's just been a great opportunity uh, to come back home and to, to work for and to represent one of Scotland's most successful and most dynamic industries. No doubt. I mean, you're, you're essentially the ambassador uh, for the Scotch, indus- uh, Scotch uh, industry in every sense. Uh, the Scotch industry uh, is historically been a man's world, right? Uh, as you can imagine. And one of the neat things that I have found coming back to the industry after a 10 year break is the diversity and under your leadership and your background, it's, it's been really, really terrific. What do you love about Scotland? Uh, I know you've lived in DC and Morocco, of course, and all around the world and you had family in Scotland. Uh, what's it like, uh, being back in Edinburgh and and just uh, what do you love about Scotland, first and foremost, beyond the Scotch, uh, of course? <laughs> yeah. Scotland is a great place to live. And, you know, one of the things we really love about it is the space. Uh, you know, you can, you can get out of Edinburgh, you can get into the hills, uh, you, can, uh, you can get far away from other people uh, very quickly into some beautiful landscapes. So it is, it's a fabulous country to live in from that point of view. The light is really amazing. Um, you know, we are living significantly further north than you are, Chris. Yeah. And so in the summer, go to the north of Scotland, in the summer it hardly gets dark. Uh, you have these amazingly long days with dawns really early in the morning and sunsets late at night. And that's one of the things I love about Scotland. You know, whenever we lived overseas and you live somewhere closer to the equator where you know, you've got a 12-hour day, I always sort of felt cheated in the summer that you didn't have these amazing long summer long evenings days. that you get 
in Scotland. Scotch is obviously one of the other wonderful things uh, about Scotland. And the final thing I'd mention is uh, is Tunnock's caramel wafers. And if you haven't had a Tunnock's caramel wafer, you need to get yourself one. I'll bring one next time I come to DC. <laughs> no doubt. And hopefully, hopefully, if everything settles down, I'll I'll be with you at the Keepers of the Quake dinner, I think, in early October as well, which is a special event, if anybody is not aware of that. And it really celebrates the history of Scotch. So uh, Scotch has been around for over 500 years. There's so much history, highs and lows and so forth. Could you just tell us a little bit about the history of Scotch and uh, where where Scotch is today in the marketplace? I mean, I think Scotch, y'all export to well over 100 plus countries around the world, right? Uh, How's Scotch doing today? That's one of the really amazing things about Scotch is that it has been made in Scotland for, yeah, about 500 years. I think the earliest recorded, uh, you know, written record of Scotch whiskey being produced is in 1494. And there are various other bits of historical evidence from around that period. Yeah, Scotch whiskey has been produced for a really long time. And it's one of the really wonderful things about it, I think. And it's one of the things that makes it so appealing to consumers is it's been created in you know more or less the same way for hundreds of years sure. by communities in the same place. Um, so yes, it's got this tremendous, uh, it's got this tremendous historical link. It's got this tremendous link to the landscape that it's in. And you see all these pictures of these beautiful distilleries in remote parts of Scotland that have been there again for a uh, for a, a really long time so that's kind of really critical to it and and yes I mean that production has gone on over hundreds of years we have been through we've been through good times and bad and Scotch whiskey remains and it's one of the you know one of the fabulous things about it I think is just that it is so enduring no doubt. I mean, it is the signature product of Scotland, of course. And if I have my count right, there's 128 distilleries. I bet you have gotten to visit quite a few of them. How important, particularly as we're navigating through the COVID crisis, <clears throat> how important is tourism for the Scotch uh, uh, distilleries all around Scotland? Uh, and how many do you think you visited uh, in the last year and a half that you've been on the job? Two years, maybe. So I'm going to have to correct you there, Chris. It's actually 133. So my ah, team picked okay. up on that. They Very said good. it's 133 distilleries, which is more distilleries than we've had running since the, the end of the Second World War. So there has been this amazing boom in distilling uh, in the last sort of 10, 15 years. A number of new distilleries uh, have started up. Out of that sort of 130-odd, about half of them are open to the public uh, I've been to many of them. I always I have to sit down uh, and count them. But yeah, it's one of the great pleasures of my job is, you know, when we get out of lockdown is just going out to distilleries and seeing what's going on there and uh, seeing what people are doing. Some are very, very traditional. Others are more innovative. Innovative. Some employ, you know, quite a lot of people. Others are quite automated. It's tremendously, uh, it's tremendously diverse in that way. And yes, I mean, tourism is important to the industry. Again, the industry's tourist offer has really developed over the last 20 odd years. And many distilleries now have got visitor centres. Distilleries collectively are now the third most popular tourist attraction in Scotland. Uh, So we come behind the, the National Museum 
uh, of Scotland in Edinburgh and Edinburgh Castle. And then the next thing that most people visit on a on a no trip to Scotland is, is a distillery. So it is really important. And for many of our smaller distilleries, it's it's part of how they build their brand uh, is you know making this connection with tourists, whether they're UK based or whether they're coming Asia. from you know, all four corners of the world. Exactly, Asia. Uh, America, um, you know, we have lots of American tourists. So it is important to the industry. Now, our distillery visitor centres are obviously all closed now. They all closed probably a, a couple of weeks before the formal lockdown was announced because obviously things were becoming more difficult in terms of, you know, making sure that companies were, were taking good care of their staff and taking good care of their visitors. And of course, you know, as I'm sure is the same with distillery visitor centres in the US now, we don't know yet when and how those uh, those attractions are going to be able to open up again. Yeah, we're living in such a uh, extraordinary time uh, through it all. And how how important is uh, Scotch to the uh, Scottish economy and to the UK economy? Uh, extremely important, right? In terms of the job contribution and the economic impact it has to the to the Scottish economy. How important is that? It's really important. We contribute over five billion pounds worth of value added to the UK economy. Uh, we employ eleven thousand people directly in Scotland, and many of those are in rural areas. And through our supply chain, we support the jobs of, of forty thousand people across the UK. So we're a significant employer. We add a lot of value. We're a highly productive uh, industry, um, and we're also, a, you know, a, a key exporter. So. Scotch whisky is 20% of all UK food and drink exports. It's 75% of Scotland's food and drink exports. So we're really important from an exporting point of view as well. I mean, we flip with uh, aircraft parts, but but very often we are uh, the single biggest contributor to the UK's balance of trade in goods. That's amazing. And the same applies here in the U.S. Uh, the, the economic contributions our great industry affords, not only the two countries that we reside in, in the U.S. and in the U.K., uh, but all around the world. And that's one of the challenges that we're grappling with with the COVID-19 crisis as well. Uh, both you and I inherited some challenges, one certainly being uh, tariffs, uh, which if, if we could talk about that. Uh, and obviously, you are also grappling with Brexit, no less. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the tariffs. Uh, you and I have worked very, very closely together. Uh, you know, it all started in June 2018 when the EU imposed tariffs on American whiskey. Uh, and we're working very closely together to try to get the EU and the U.S. to come together and find a creative solution because of the detrimental impact on on Scotch whiskey and cordials, liqueurs all around Europe, of course, uh, Irish whiskey from Northern Ireland, and then of course, American whiskey as well. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about uh, uh, what SWA is doing on the tariff front, particularly as you're leading into Brexit negotiations between the UK and the EU as well? Yeah, so we certainly live in interesting times, don't we? Uh, tariffs and Brexit are quite a combination. Um, I mean, what I would say at the outset about uh, about tariffs, which I you know, which I know you have noticed as well, is is the spirits industry, and it's not just whiskey. They are you know born free traders, and um, 
And you know, the spirits industry globally is very well connected. I mean, in some ways, it's a you know it's a big global family of a number of companies that have worked together over a number of years. And you know, I think the way the spirits industry approaches these sorts of issues is, you know, we like free trade. We don't like tariffs. We don't want to compete with each other by asking our, our various governments for protection. We just want to compete on the on the uh, on the quality of our products, and you know, we trust consumers to to choose well. So yes, this whole um, this whole bubbling up of tariffs has been uh, has been a pretty negative development uh, in the in the free trade world of spirits. Um, for 25 years, we have had uh, free trade in spirits between Europe and the United States. As you say, that ended in June last year, when in response to US tariffs on European steel and aluminium, the European Union placed a tariff on American whiskey. And, you know, really at that point, we knew that Scotch whiskey was uh, under threat. You know, we lobbied the European Union very hard at the time. The UK was still yep. a full part of the European Union at this time. We lobbied our commissioner. We lobbied the trade commissioner. We lobbied the, the agriculture commissioner to say, you know, don't do this. Don't bring spirits uh, into this fight. You're just, you know, you're going to you're going to pull in now a bunch of industries and companies that have got nothing to do with the the airline dispute that's at the, the heart of uh, of this problem. But the European Union didn't do what we asked them to do. They placed a tariff on American whiskey, and, and the rest, as you as you might say, is history. It's history, yeah. You know, eighteen months. Yes, eighteen months later, uh, a tariff was imposed uh, on Scotch whiskey under a different trade dispute, but I don't think we're in any doubt that it is a tit-for-tat response. And so, you know, the, the trade negotiations have started again this week between the UK now and the US. And, and one of the things I know that we've said to negotiators on both sides is you've just got to get rid of these tariffs on whiskies. They're hurting uh, many of the same companies, actually, on, on each side of the Atlantic. There's nothing to be gained. So... Yeah. It's almost like playing Russian roulette. What's amazing about our industry is we're aligned, right? We're aligned between the Distilled Spirits Council and the Scotch Whiskey Association or our friends with Spirits Europe and all of our European colleagues. So we'll keep working at it. And I know we're advocating hard with both governments, uh, well, all three governments, with the UK, of course, uh, the EU and the US to get in a room uh, have a little bit of American whiskey, Scotch whiskey, Irish whiskey, you name it across the board and really come to an agreement. Brexit is another one where, uh, depending on how things kind of shake out with COVID, uh, the UK is committed to leaving the EU. Uh, what's all that mean for Scotch whiskey as, as it relates to Brexit? I, I know this has to be top of mind for you. So the negotiations are ongoing now, uh, and there's a deadline in June when uh, the two sides need to come together and, and work out if they can come to a, an agreement yep. by the end of the year. The UK government has been very clear recently that they think uh, that they don't want to extend the negotiation period and they think that a, a deal can be reached um, this year. So, you know, I think it looks more likely than not that there won't be an, an extension and that the UK will leave the EU at the end of the year. And so the question for us really is, well, so what sort of deal is it going to be? And when will we know the details? Um, for, for our industry, you know, our, our needs in that deal are not uh, as not are not as complicated as, as many other industries. We we want zero tariffs. 
we want as much regulatory coherence between the EU and the UK as, uh, as possible. We want continued protection for, uh, for Scotch whiskies, GIs, and we want um, exporting procedures that are, you know, that are able to run smoothly. We want to be able to move uh, Scotch out of Scotland and into our export markets uh, as easily uh, after Brexit as we can now. So actually, in many ways, it's the, the detail of those customs procedures that become some of the most important uh, yeah. important things to us. No doubt. Uh, well, look, uh, the news uh, this week is the US and the UK are starting to negotiate their free trade agreement. Hopefully, there'll be some good momentum. And certainly, Discus and the SWA are going to work very, very closely together on that. And maybe there are opportunities to address some of the tariff issues uh, between the UK and the and the US as well. And uh, on behalf of the Distilled Spirits Council and uh, many American whiskey producers, we really appreciate the Scotch Whiskey Association support for that. Uh, just kind of a, a couple. Well, likewise, of Likewise, Chris. I mean, we have yeah. enjoyed working with you on this, and you know our um, our ability to to stand together on it. I think is really important. I'm often quite struck by when you go and talk to, to government negotiators about this sort of thing, they are surprised that our industry is able to align across the Atlantic in the way that we can. You know, we're not continually digging them in the ribs and saying, no, no, slap another 25% tariff on. So Absolutely. it has been a real pleasure working with you. And I, you know, and I hope, well, I hope we'll be able to do something about the tariff, but it has certainly, certainly brought our organizations closer together, which I think has been a good thing. No doubt. Under COVID, uh, what a great story. This has happened certainly in the U.S. and in Scotland as well. Uh, Scotch distilleries have really risen up, uh, rose to the task to help out and provide hand sanitizer. Who would have thunk six months ago we would have been in the thick of it? Could you just tell us a little bit about that? And uh, certainly I'm sure it's a proud, proud moment for you to uh, represent this great industry as we're all on the front lines trying to end COVID as quickly as possible? I think, I mean, it's been really great to see our companies mobilise very quickly on producing hand sanitizer. I mean, very early on in all of this, they were all going to the WHO website, taking the recipe off for hand sanitizer and working out how they could produce it. And that was big companies through to small. So we've got big companies now who are providing huge volumes, millions of litres of ethanol, to hand sanitizer producers in the UK to make sure that they can produce enough. But equally, we've got small distilleries in local communities producing hand sanitizer to make sure that doctors' surgeries and care homes and, and you know council employees who are still collecting the refuse during the crisis, that all of those organizations and key workers in them who have to keep working to keep you know, some, some normal life ticking over have the sanitizer that they need. And it's been it's been really interesting to see. I guess it's been the same in the US as well, but really certain key things ran out very quickly. And so hand yeah. sanitizer was under pressure. We've obviously had issues in the UK about the provision of personal protective equipment as well. But what was really great was just seeing distillers go, okay, right, we're on it. And um, no doubt. There's some great footage of, you know, even families and distilleries. So we have this thing at the moment, you're not meant to be outside your household. So, you know, one of our distillers in Glasgow said, okay, I can't bring any of my employees onto site. I'm just going to get my family in and we will make it and we will ship it out to the people who need it. So it's been, uh, it's been a really nice thing to see.
pretty amazing. We couldn't make toilet paper. I, we had a toilet paper shortage in the early days, but uh, really awesome uh, that the industry has done it. And uh, I've seen all the press reports coming out of Scotland as well. And it's, it's just a unique opportunity for the industry to be on the front lines. Of course, we see emergency responders doing those, their level best. But uh, when they write about the history of COVID-19, there's going to be a footnote or even a broader story in there about how the distilled spirits industry has really stepped up. Uh, and yeah. I'd rather us be making hand sanitizer than toilet paper, <laughs> for sure. And I think that shortage has started to level out here in the United States, Thanks, thank God. So a little bit of fun. Uh, uh if I could, I've been asked this question before, Chris, if you could have a drink with anybody, who would that person be, right? And for me, without question, it would be uh, Sir Winston Churchill, uh, just because. Uh, uh, so if I may, if you had one or two people, and they can be deceased or alive or whatever, if you could have a great scotch uh, with one or two people, uh, who, who comes to mind for you? And I'm sorry, I took... Winston Churchill. You can have them too, because I think that'd be great fun, obviously. Boy, that'd be a treat, though. So I'm going to go a, a bit more, a bit closer to home on, on that one. You know, if I think about who I really want to sit down and have a scotch with, it's my husband, the love of my life, the rock of my that? world. But I think, so the question for me would be... Um, it's got to well, be somebody famous. God bless, God bless uh, Mr. Betts, of course. But uh, yeah, give us somebody that we can all identify with. And I'm looking forward to meeting Mr. Betts at some point, <laughs> of course. Well, so, so if it was my husband, I think what we would want to do is, is pick uh, the best place in the world to do it. And I have to say that when we were in the U.S., we had this fantastic... Uh, holiday where we drove a camper van around Washington and Oregon states for mm-hmm. sort of three weeks. It was before Beautiful our kids country. were in school. Yeah. Yeah. And it was before the schools had broken up. It was really quiet. And, you know, if I was drinking a whiskey with him right now, it would be overlooking, you know, that fantastic Atlant- um, Pacific coast you have where skyline. if you yep. walk on a beach in Scotland and you pick up driftwood, it's like a branch or a twig. The thing that amazed me about that coast is you've got these whole tree trunks on your uh, on your yes. beaches. Your driftwood is of a different scale. So yeah, we had some fabulous moments overlooking the sea, rivers, lakes. So I mean, I would love to do that again with a whiskey every evening. No doubt, with Mount Rainier famous. in the background. Yeah, someone oh, thinks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Beautiful. they are amazing. Yeah. They are amazing states. Amazing wildlife, mountains it was you know we had a fabulous time um if it was somebody famous I think it might be Madeline Madeline Albright who I'm a big yeah. fan of yeah, and I you're reading her, her book times. right now right you're reading her book right now yeah right? I, I've read a book and she um uh, well I met her a few times when I was working at the embassy in Washington she did a few events with us and she was just um such a wise and knowledgeable person but also so um uh, so uh, self-assured and straightforward about it. There was not a, a sort of glint of, of arrogance or I've done all these things. She was very amusing and witty in, uh, in many of the stories she had, just a lot of fun as well as combined yeah. with this uh, amazing sort of wisdom and, and experience having done all these yeah, hugely important things all over the world. So, like we swap. I take I take great Winston Churchill, and you take uh, former Secretary of State 
Madeline Albright. Uh, yeah. Tell us about how, uh, which is a tougher job, being ambassador of Morocco or being the chief executive of the Scotch Whiskey Association? I'm sure they both had their challenges <laughs> in their own right, right? That would be telling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They both have their moments. Um, but, you know, both both really interesting. And, um, you know, one of the things I think is fascinating about the, the job I do now is it's kind of everything from our licence to operate in Scotland, you know, which goes into everything, like how do you stack casks in a warehouse? You know, do you fill your do you fill your, your tankers when you're moving scotch around Scotland? Do you fill them from the top or the bottom? You know, we go from those sorts of issues through to tariff and non-tariff barriers in 180 markets yeah. all over the world. So so really fascinating. Um, loads of things to, to influence and to, and to change in a positive way. And it's really great then to see the impact that has back in the industry. You know, you feel like you're really doing something that, that helps people, that helps the industry, that helps support all the, the jobs and livelihoods that we support. Being ambassador to Morocco was a lot of fun as well. We had some... Um, you know, we had some really successful moments. We had some dicey moments. Um, a great, fun place to live. Uh, it's a bit like, you know, in climate and in um, geography, it's a bit like California yeah. on the edge of Africa. Dry, you know, you've got mountain dry. sea. Yeah. yeah, you've got Mediterranean. You've got very dry, you've got very cold in the winter um, in certain places. So, yeah, no, that was, uh, it was fun. Different in many ways, but actually quite similar in some ways as well. I mean, you know, you and I, uh, we represent a bunch of policy issues to uh, to government, and it's actually what I do now is is not that different to to being a, a government ambassador. Yeah, no doubt we are we are lucky and and do uh, have the opportunity to represent great people in great great industries as well. Now I'm probably talking out of school, but the last time you were with me in Washington D.C., I convinced you to try a bourbon and water, and I think you liked it. But I know, <laughs> I know that was just you'll one get me into trouble, in, Chris. <laughs> I know that one moment in time. Uh, how do you how do you like to drink your scotch? Uh, do you like to add a little bit of water or ice or uh, tell us your, I won't ask you to tell me your favorite scotch brand because that would get us both in trouble, obviously, but how do you like to drink your scotch and enjoy it? Neat? So I will drink it with a bit of water. I don't yeah. drink it neat. I would taste it neat. If you're doing a tasting, uh, I would taste it neat, but then I would always add some water. I do a I do believe that water opens up uh, opens up the, the flavors and the aromas. Absolutely. Um, I would also drink it in a cocktail. You know, I'm a uh, I'm a big proponent uh, of cocktails and of you know of diversity in in the way we consume whiskey as well as in the way that it's made. You know, I mean, Scotch is just the most diverse spirit. I think even with a, within a single distillery, you get this enormous range of flavors. Uh, and yes, I don't think that that we, certainly not the Scotch Whiskey Association, should be telling people to drink it in certain ways. So I think you drink it how you like it. I drink it with water, but I, I do enjoy the old cocktail. And I enjoy scotch in an old fashioned. I'm quite a fan of old fashioned. So very nice. Um, very nice. I think uh, we had one in DC, didn't we? We did. We did yeah. for sure. Uh, absolutely. Well, Karen, on behalf of the Distilled Spirits Council and the Spirited Advocate, uh, I'd like to raise a glass and a toast to you and our great friends with the Scotch Whiskey Association. Uh, uh, I hope that we'll be together again soon. 
And I hope soon that we're going to be uh, collectively advocating a resolution on the tariffs issue because that is big for uh, both the Scotch Whiskey Association, the Distilled Spirits Council. And on top of that, just a big thank you for the great collaboration and uh, a great cheers to you in the Scotch Whiskey Association. And in the, in the short term, stay safe and healthy. And thank you for, for being with us very much. Cheers. Well, cheers, Chris. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for, thanks for having us in the unusual circumstances of, uh, of a lockdown. And, you know, let's toast, toast not tariffs and, you know, the success and health of our whiskey industry through a, through a difficult period. Absolutely. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Bye, everybody. The Spirited Advocate podcast was brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States. If you'd like to be a guest speaker on the show or send us topic suggestions to cover, please contact us at podcast at distilledspirits.org. And please like and share these episodes. Your support is very appreciated.